Welcome to the FFGF Podcast. We are located in Fredericksburg, Virginia, and our mission is for you to know God and make Him known. We pray this message blesses you today. If you'd like more information about our ministry or how you can partner with us, please go to fredfulgospel.com. Thanks for listening. I want to just remind you again that this week we have asking folks to pray privately. Uh, the three pastors are going to be praying uh, ardently every day. Uh, and then next week, uh, we're going to have a church week of prayer. And I'm going to ask everyone to make the effort that they can to get into prayer, to get to God in a new way. Maybe to skip a meal and pray protractedly. I don't know that the essence of fasting is just the absence of food as much as it is spending time. You know, every time you break up prayer, you kind of have to start over again a little bit. But when you can spend a lengthy time alone with God, and uh, God comes so mightily to you, and does something so special. So we want to take time with God. You know the Bible says in Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And I want to underline the type of prayer we want to do. And of course in the Epiphras prayer it's somewhat different. Often we pray for needs. We pray for healing. We pray for God's provision. And God's blessing. And we pray specifically about those things. But I believe the greatest prayer we can pray is a prayer to have him seek the Lord while he may be found. Because when he comes, he meets everything and brings everything to us. And we come into a fuller place. And so this time of prayer is primarily to really get to God, spend some time to get a fresh anointing. I'm going to speak today in connection with our weeks of prayer Returning and repentance brings restoration. Returning to God and repentance brings restoration. I remember one time I was with uh, my minister who uh, I revered and trained under. His name was Gordon Gardner. And he was asked a question, what brings revival? And he very strongly said, it's not just prayer. It's repentance and prayer. Sometimes there are things that are robbing us. Things that we're getting self-absorbed in and spending too much time with. Maybe they're not bad things in and of themselves. But like I one time heard, and I think this saying is true, sometimes the good can be the enemy of the best. And I think there's times we have to put our lives in priority and really look at where I'm going and what's important and go after it. In fact, I want to say no one who's been truly successful in life has had a casual pursuit of their goal. When you think of the Olympians, how they train, how they ardently practice hours and hours a day. And then they're on the stage maybe a short time. All that time for that one, one opportunity. I think of the scientists that invented great things. I think of all the people who have come into great attainment. They made it important. And folks, I believe God wants his kingdom to be important to us. 
I believe he wants us to really recognize that no matter where we are today, it doesn't matter. Maybe you've been going through dry times, hard times. Maybe you haven't felt the joy you once have. I'm here to tell you, through returning and repentance, you can have restoration. And I'm thankful. And we're going to see in the Bible today that God has a wonderful book that tells us about how to be restored on an individual basis for a church, even for a country. There's a way to come, and we're going to see it today. It's one of my favorite books. But before we turn to that, I'd like to look at a wonderful verse where Jesus talks about being fruitful, and it's in John chapter 15. And I'd like you to turn with me to it, John chapter 15 and verse 5. And I think it would be good if we could read this verse together. Now, I've been really considering getting another version. Some folks don't like the these and thous. I've kind of learned to kind of just change them. The reason I use the old King James is because I'm old. Second, I read it because I've been in it for 48 years and I've memorized so many scriptures. It's kind of hard for me at this time, so have mercy on me. But I certainly would suggest the new King James version. I think that's an excellent version and there's other versions too. So whatever uh, version of the Bible you have today, you just read with me. We're gonna read John chapter 15, verse five. All right? Together. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now when he says you do nothing, he's not talking about driving to work or cooking your pie or doing your chores or doing well at your job. He's talking about bringing forth fruit. We all know his Illustration here, we've all experienced it. A branch cannot be lopped off the tree and continue to live. A branch only lives as it's united to the vine. And Jesus, using that illustration, he reminds us that he is the vine. He is the one who sends forth that nourishment, that ability to bring forth fruit and to have abundant fruit. And then he ends it by saying, without me, you can do nothing. And so his thought here is we need to stay connected to him. You see, Jesus said, come unto me. I've been reading a book with some of the folks here. We have a class Thursday night. It's called Abide in Christ. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful message. And in this book, Andrew Murray says, you know, when Jesus said, come to me, he didn't refer to just visiting him. He meant to remain in him, to stay in him. You see, the Christian life is abiding in Christ, isn't it? The Bible says we're not only to be born again of the Spirit, but we're to be filled with the Spirit, amen? I like amens, you'll help me along here now. If I say something good, shout back at me, all right? All right, not only are we to be born again of the Spirit and filled with the Spirit, we're to walk in the Spirit. Amen, amen. amen. thank you, so you can be a Christian and you become somewhat detached. Some of us, when we get saved, you remember when you got saved, how excited you were? You know, it was kind of like a, a, just a wonderful experience. God was all over you. You couldn't wait to get to church. You loved his word. You wanted to talk to people who experienced wonderful things. The joy of the Lord was flowing like a river. You remember that? But how is it today? I remember, yeah, that's good, brother. You've been doing something right. 
I remember I led one of my high school friends to the Lord. I actually led four to the Lord. Thank God I was excited. I told them about Jesus. How can you refuse Jesus? Someone came to me and said, you know, you could know you're saved. Well, my church never said you could be saved. And you could know your sins are forgiven. Well, we never had our sins forgiven. And I thought to myself, what could be wrong with this? I had no problem with it. I didn't fully understand the journey and perhaps the process. But I got to tell you, as our brother has said, it's getting better and better and better and better and better. I'm thankful I wasn't just taught to come to Jesus. I was taught to abide in Christ. I was taught to live in Christ. Now, you know, it's not an easy journey. Because just in the matter of prayer and learning to seek God and touch God, folks, I have to tell you, it takes a little time. I want to get into my verses, which are important and more important than illustrations. But I remember one of the most godly men that I met, his name was Roy Gray. He was actually the mentor of Brother Tim's dad, and he was the dean of Donna's Bible school, my wife's Bible school, for 40 years. He could read the Bible in Greek. Well, the interesting thing about him was he worked with Amy Semple McPherson. Anyone ever heard of Amy Semple McPherson? She was a great early evangelist in Pentecost and had tremendous ministry. And she started the Foursquare group. And he was an associate of hers. And he was a Scotch. And he was a very proper man. And he almost had a doctorate, you know. And he was very educated. And as I said, he could read the Bible in Greek, right? I got to go to Strong's Concordance to get my Greek. Right? And so Amy Semple McPherson was asked a question. Will Gray be a good preacher? You know what she said? He will when he gets his heart broken. Now she didn't mean have a bad relationship. She meant when he really falls in love with Jesus. I got to see the heartbroken Gray. Oh, how mighty. He came into a lovership with Jesus and he told his story once at camp how he was taught to pray, but it was hard for him to pray just like I confess. So he'd put his clock and he'd kneel by his couch and he'd keep looking at it. The time seemed so long. It was hard for him. But as he continued, the day came where he got his heart broken and the love of Jesus arrested his heart. Folks, it's a very real experience. And most Christians in this generation don't come into it. Because the churches aren't praying. Most of the pastors aren't praying. The people aren't praying. And they stay in the outer court. The outer court is where there is that wonderful door which Jesus is. And then the altar, which of course is a type of Calvary. And then the washing of the water, which certainly is the word and water baptism. But when you go into the inner court, it's fellowship. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life, which is his presence. And then you had the bread, the showbread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread that's come down from heaven. God wants to have fellowship. You go through Calvary. You go through water baptism. You go through getting saved to have relationship. You don't come just to get saved and say you're a Christian and not have Christ. You got to drink. You got to receive. You got to abide in him. I got married with Donna. I'd always lived in myself. I always slept in my own room. 
Now I'm abiding. And you know, it came a time, I don't know if this is too personal, but I remember it's hard for me to sleep with someone in the bed. Now I can have my eyes closed and I know if she's there. How about you guys? And there's something about the union that is not just the certificate. It's not just the marriage license. There's a love that flows. There's a connection there. That's a type of Christ in his church. God wants you to be connected to him. Not just visit him. Not just know about him. He wants you to carry his love. He wants you to have a broken heart. It doesn't hurt. It delivers. Sets you free from the stuff of this world that draws you, blinds you, makes you harden. It brings you into relationship. It gives you wisdom. Gives you understanding. You carry something that this world can't give, we used to say. And the world can't take it away. It has nothing to do with the natural life. It's the supernatural life. Well, how does that correlate? How does God come to me? He comes to me because I was made and you were made in his image. God breathed into us and we became a living soul. That word living means eternal. Everyone here is going to live for eternally because you've been made in God's image. Yeah, when you pass from this life, you're not going to die. You're going to go into another realm. You're getting ready to reign with him as a Christian. And he wants to live his life in you. And so I have capacity. As a human being, we've been made in his image. And God made man and women in his image. In the image of God created he them. We have a capacity for God. God was not happy when Adam and Eve were detached. The whole plan of salvation is to get us back to be attached again. Hallelujah. To get us feeling that vibrance. And so I was going to tell you about this fellow who I led to the Lord. And there was an older man in the church. And he saw my friend Tom was so on fire. And you know what he said to him? He said, Tom, in a little while, it will dwindle. It will fade. Don't listen to what church people say sometimes. The path of the dress shines more and more to the perfect day. Hallelujah. It says of the increase of his kingdom. His kingdom is within you, isn't it? It shall have no end. The kingdom of God and a life that stays connected gets better and better. And I can tell you, I know things of God that I never knew before. When I was unsaved, I was on fire, I was always earnest. But I recognize that I've needed to grow. And thank God I'm growing. And I want to grow more. In fact, it comes to the place where you scratch your head and say, how much yet don't I realize? How much yet will God do for me and show me? Because there's such a wonderful thing to recognize. He wants to come to you, daily load you with benefits. Hallelujah. And so I want to speak to you from a book of the Bible, a very small book, and it's called Joel. Uh, many of you have studied it. It's an older Old Testament book. I'd like you to turn to it. And Joel talks about the opposite of fruitfulness. He talks about barrenness. Now the byproduct or the cause of barrenness is disinterest in the things of God. Getting away from God. You see, if you abide in me, you bring forth much fruit. The only way you're going to die spiritually is become detached. Is that correct? 
And in Joel, we see that God gives us this book that's a picture of how the people came into a barren state. Now, it's a physical story. I mean, it's a story that actually happened in Israel at that time. And it is kind of a true story that has a spiritual correlation. And I want to remind you that out of the book of Joel, the church of Jesus Christ was birthed. The text for the first sermon in the church of Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 2 by Peter used Joel as its text and talked about how we should be filled with the Spirit and, of course, bringing forth fruit. But in Joel's time, there was a real situation that was very odd, very different. Perhaps some of you have heard of it. Maybe this is new. But I'd like you to go through some of it with me. I'd like you to turn to Joel, and I'm going to begin reading chapter 1, verse 3, and I'm going to read verse 4. It says, Tell you your children of it, and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. That which the palmer worm hath left has the locust eaten, and that which the locust has left has the cankerworm eaten, and that which the cankerworm has left has the caterpillar eaten. And then it says in verse 5, Awake, you drunkards, and weep and howl, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. Verse 7, look at it. It says, He hath laid my vine waste and barked my trees. He has made it clean bare and cast it away and the branches thereof are white. Wow, what a devastation. And so God, because of their sin and turning from him, sent this plague of insects and these insects, we're told, just went marching through the whole land and just ate up everything. Have you ever ripped bark off a tree and see that, you know, underneath that bark, that tree is white? And so the trees were white. There was no wine. Can you imagine if this happened in America? Six months, Snowden would be packed out. They'd have to make five new Snowdens. No beer, no wine. Oh, boy. The thing that really kind of concerns me is no apples. No apple pie. Yeah. This is really tough time. Look at verse 10. For the field is wasted. The land mourneth. For corn is wasted. The new wine is dried up. And the oil languisheth. Look at verse 12. The vine is dried up. And the fig tree languisheth. The pomegranate tree. The palmer tree also. Palm tree also. Palmers are over there. The apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered because the joy is withered away from the sons of men. What a devastation. Now, as I said, this is a natural story, a true story that has a spiritual application because when we become detached from God, there's barrenness. And that's exactly what's happening in Joel. But there's a remedy for barrenness. It's good for this story and it's good for your story. But first, let me just give you a little key to what is being said here. Look again at verse 10. It says, the field is wasted, the land mourns, for the corn is wasted, the new wine is dried up, and the oil languishes. That's a very interesting three things, and every one of those three things speak about the Holy Spirit. Now you say, well, how is that? Well, I'm going to relate it. First of all, the corn here is really not corn, it's wheat. And so really what it says is the field is wasted, the land mourns, 
The wheat is wasted, the new wine is dried up, and the oil languishes. We know that when the priests were anointed, they were anointed with oil, right? And an oil, the oil is always a type of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And then you have wine. Jesus talked about the new wine of the Spirit. And then you have wheat. Well, how does wheat refer to the Holy Spirit? Well, you know, the day or the feast of Pentecost was the feast of harvest. You remember that. And after a certain amount of months in early June, they would reap the harvest. And what they do is they would reap the wheat and they'd put it in sheaves and they'd make big loaves of bread and they'd wave it before the Lord as a thanksgiving offering, as a wave offering. And so wheat was connected with the celebration of the feast of Passover because it was the fruit of the ground. How many like bread? How many like rye bread? Come on. How many like Italian bread? It will round you out, I'll tell you that. Oh, man. Oh, one of the things I got to give up on these, this uh, biggest loser is bread. I'm Italian. I love bread. In fact, as a young boy, I'd eat my supper, then I'd go to the... Uh, refrigerator and I get bologna and have a bologna sandwich. That was my dessert. Some people say I'm full of bologna. All right, well, let me get back to my story, all right? And so here that wheat was the fruit of the earth. It was the blessing of God. I want to give you a verse. John chapter 12. Jesus said, unless a corn of wheat falls into the ground, it dies. It abides alone. But if it dies, it will bring forth much fruit. So what is the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost? You know, all these Jewish feasts have their fulfillment in Christ. Our sister knows that. Thank you for the Jewish feasts, God. Thank you for their symbolism. You know what it symbolizes? As they sowed seeds into the ground after months, thank God there was a harvest that kept them alive and the sickle was put and they waved those sheaves of wheat and that bread, thanking God for his goodness. But I'm here to tell you, because Jesus Christ was that first corn of wheat and because he died for your sin and broke the power of your sin. You are the fruit unto God. You are the first fruits of God. We are his praise in the earth because he has changed our lives. Hallelujah. That's a wonderful thing. And so you know everything we eat really dies first. Resurrection and life comes out of death. I told you often that at camp we had a Swiss man who would actually have these big, big boxes and he would grow these big, big uh, flowers and, and uh, pagonias, beautiful. And he put these eggs in there. Eggs, they were bulbs. And I, I was from the city. I didn't know how this worked. So every once in a while I'd dig them up and look at them. You're not supposed to do that. You got to keep it in there. But not too before the, long before the uh, spring, I remember taking one out, and here the thing was broken. It was cracked. It was black. But out of the bottom, a shoot was coming forth. And before too long, a beautiful begonia that just lit up the entrance of camp would be displayed because life comes out of death. Jesus was the first corn of wheat, and you now are the product of that wonderful sowing of his death and we have life and folks if there's anything the Christian should do well and do easily is to play, praise him. Do you agree with that? 
If you're thankful for the sacrifice of Calvary, before we go on, how about we just praise him? If you're thankful that he died so you could bring forth fruit, wave your hands and thank him. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. That's such a wonderful thought to think. Well, as we go on, here's the remedy. In chapter 1, verse 13, look at it with me. Joel 1, 13. Gird yourselves and lament, ye priests, how ye ministers of the altar. We're going to do that this week. Come lie all night in sackcloth, ye ministers of my God. For the meat offering and the drink offering is withholden from the house of your God. Verse 14, sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. That's what we're doing. Gather all the elders, all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. Now this is the heart which we return to him with. Look at chapter 2, verse 12. And 13. I'd love you to read these two verses with me. These are so precious, so important. This shows us what God's desire in our fasting and prayer should be, and our returning should be. Chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Let's read them together. Therefore also now says the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. All right, that shows something of real sincerity. We know it was a custom in the Old Testament. When they'd fast, they'd rend their garments, and it was a type of sorrow. But God doesn't want just an outward show, does he? He wants us to really come back. Folks, he wants you to hunger again to please him, to have his joy and fullness in your life. And so it says, don't rend your garment, but rend your heart and turn to me with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Folks, I haven't seen that for a bit now, but I'd like to see it again. Would you like God to break some hearts in these weeks? Would you like to see some weeping at the altar? This is not weeping for sorrow. God never makes us weep for sorrow. It's a weeping of great Rejoy and respect and appreciation. Oh, how God wants to touch us. It says in verse 4, 13, read it with me. And rend your heart and not your garment. And turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. And he repents of the evil. Can you say amen to that? I want to just read those adjectives again. For he is gracious. How many will say amen? He is merciful. He is slow to anger. How many have found that out? He's of great kindness. Praise God. I had God wrong before I got saved. I'm finding out, folks, he wants to bless me and bless you more than I ever realized. He wants to do a great thing in the earth. And he wants us to trust him to do it. And he has you in a place, and he wants you to bring forth fruit. You have a work place. You have a family. You have a position in society. People that are around you that no one else will meet. You know, one of the things God wanted to do in Israel and through Israel, he wanted the people to see how mighty God was in their midst. 
It says about the first century church, it says that there were signs and wonders and the people saw it and the fear of God came on the people. Folks, God wants to do great things because he's kind and he's merciful. And it says he repents of the evil. Now God doesn't do evil, but what it's talking about here was God had sent this plague and all of this barren and famineness and barrenness was because of their neglecting him and turning from him. But God, when he sees his people repent, he repents. Did you ever hear that before? God repents. God changes his mind. But here it's like a question. It's like, who knows if he will repent? Look at verse 14. Who knows if he will repent, if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him, even a meat offering and a drink offering unto the Lord your God. And so Joel is saying, you know, let's really turn. Let's turn with all, all our heart. God is good. God is merciful. And he does repent. And who knows if he'll leave behind him a blessing. Well, they found out. Oh, hallelujah. And we're going to find out. God will make us find out. And so the cry goes out one more time. Verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. A solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders, the children, the married, the priests, the ministers, and let them weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare thy people, O Lord. Give not thine inheritance to a reproach. And I tell you what, folks, just to interject, I believe God would have the church to pray for America. We better get going. We better get crying. We better get repenting. We better get asking God to intervene over the circumstances of this land. But you know what? The light of the world is the church, and the church needs the fire of God. The church needs to have that broken heart I'm talking about. The church needs to repent. How many remember real Pentecostal meetings in this generation of this? How many remember when the spirit would fall, and you didn't know what was going to happen? Hallelujah. The bobby pins began to fly. Some people begin to take off, some begin to cry, some begin to fall, but we all knew God was in the house. We knew that it had gone way beyond the worship team into the worship of heaven, and we were lost in his presence. You remember those days? I remember those days. I hunger for the real thing. It changed my life. It gave me a sight of Christ I never would have had without being in his presence, and I needed people who had found him that I could glean from. Folks, we need to come up into maturity. People... God's looking for you. We need sons and daughters that will be so filled that that anointing can flow out of your life and touch someone. I'm nice. I'm a kind man. But you know, often I say to God, forgive me. I say, God, I'll do anything you want me to do. I'll say anything, I'll do your will. But don't let me just have an average message that does not have effect. I will not be just your ordinary go with the trends. I am going with God's word. I'm sticking with truth because the truth will set you free. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. Hallelujah. Yes. So they call for the fast. I'm coming to a close. They call for this fast. And there must have been a mighty response. And all of a sudden the whole book shifts. Remember, I said Joel was kind of like encouraging them, but he was not quite so sure. He didn't know. 
But then they began to get into that place and call on God. They began to really, really just go after God and they rend those hearts and they called on him. And then look what it says in verse 18. Then will, not maybe, will the Lord be jealous for his land and he will pity his people. Ah, then it says in verse 19, yes, the Lord will answer and say unto his people, now listen to this, folks. Behold, I will send you the wheat, type of the Holy Spirit. I will send you the wine, a type of the Holy Spirit. I will send you the oil, a type of the Holy Spirit. And you will be satisfied therewith. And I will make no more you a reproach among the heathen. I will. Not maybe. You turn, God will turn. Some of you feel I've gone too far. God wants me to tell you, you'll never go too far. God's following you. He wants to bless you. He wants to restore you. As you return, he has mightier things. And the floors, verse 24, put it up, shall be full of wheat type of the Holy Spirit and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil the type of the Holy Spirit verse 25 folks take this verse and I will restore read it with me and I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten and the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. Verse 26, let's read it. And you will eat in plenty and be satisfied. Hallelujah. And you'll be a praiser. In the church, we need some praising because he's dealt wondrously with us. And my people shall never be ashamed they're no more reproach they're filled they're free i've restored them there's relationship and i'm glorying in them and they're receiving my goodness oh i love this book i love this book verse 27 and you shall know that i am in the midst of the frederick burtful gospel church of your home put your name there and I am the Lord your God and there is none else in my people shall never be ashamed now listen to this folks. this ties the whole thing together this isn't just a story of Joel's time it's a story of our time Peter said when he stood up on the day of Pentecost, these are not drunken as you suppose. Folks, let's not be afraid to get free in the Holy Ghost. God doesn't make you crazy. He takes the craziness out of you. But obviously they must have been shouting, dancing, maybe some falling. They thought they were drunk. Peter said, these are not drunken as you suppose. Seeing is but the third hour of the day, which is nine in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men, thank God, Lord, shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Not only on the men, 
but also upon my servants and my handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Thank God, and it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Folks, return, repent, and my God will restore. And if there's anything here that the enemy has robbed from you, you take it back. God has for you a life of victory and fullness and restoration. And God wants it for everyone here in this room because that's who God is. Thank God. I'm finished. Amen. Thank God. How about we just give him a little time? How about we say, Lord, I'm coming home. Hallelujah. I'm returning. 